religious calls ever make sense in our eyes. Right. But they make a whole lot of sense in God's eyes, and that's what we're trying to surrender to. Welcome back to the Deacon's Den, where you always have a standing invitation to join us in the corner booth to chat about all things diaconate. I'm Deacon Dave Camus, your host, and as always, I'm joined by the co-owner of the den, Deacon Joe Gassman. Welcome back, Deacon Joe. It's good to be back. It's been a while. It's it been, a while, been a while, brother, but you know, because we're busy folks, but we're happy to be back <laughs> in the den. We are busy folks because over the past couple of weeks, Deacon Joe and I have been running from end to end in the Diocese of Orlando, hosting discernment nights where we invite men who believe they may have a calling to the diaconate to join in an evening of prayer and discussion. And this is a formal cycle we commence every two years. And in fact, I realized this as uh, we got ready for this broadcast, the Deacon's Den opened at the same time as our last discernment cycle. That stuns me. Can you believe it's been two years since we started this craziness? No. But I got to realize that we had a lost year in there. Oh, that's true. That, you know, yeah. it's like Twilight Zone. <laughs> nobody was seeing nobody. Yeah, so, so it's like, we're doing this again already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so we're going to count it. We've only had one year as the den open because, you know, our doors were closed like every other restaurant and bar. Um, but we're back. So today we're going to re-explore, though, a topic that we started with back at the very beginning. I think it was our second episode which was to understand the call to the vocation of holy orders as a deacon. And we explored that basic understanding before in terms of the men who are discerning vocation. But this time I'd like to re-explore it based on two premises. Premise number one, that we're a little smarter than we were two years ago. Is that a safe premise, Joe? I'm not sure. I was kind of looking dumbfounded, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We hope we're a little smarter than we were two years ago. And secondly, even if we're not smarter, we'd like to look at this not from the perspective of the man himself who's discerning the vocation, but rather from the community of faith that needs to discern that call along with him. His pastor, priests and deacons at the parish, definitely his family, and others in the church community. And in fact, let's go farther, even those who who know him outside of the church, because they're part of the discernment cycle, right? Right. I agree. Okay. So I'm going to start at the top, as it were, and I say that just in case my parochial administrator is listening, uh, and he knows he's at the top of the food (laughs) chain in my parish. But let's start at the top with the priest who is the pastor or the parochial administrator of the parish. So if I'm in his shoes, what should I be looking for in a man who either I think may have a call to the diaconate or perhaps a man who might have approached me and says, Father, I want to meet with you because I believe I have a call. What advice would you give that pastor, uh, Deacon Joe, as to what to consider, what to look for as they advise that man regarding his vocational call? You know, one of the things that come to my mind real quick is that oftentimes, you know, it's, it's normal that we want to have like-minded people surround us. And that is such a two-edged sword. Because the guy that's really nice and personable, that likes to be around, always in the church, doesn't necessarily mean that there's a call to service to completely surrender himself to the service of church, community, and the ability to balance the dual vocation if he's married. You just, right out of the out of the shoot there, said something that I think is so profound. And you and I both have careers in management and leadership, so we know this to be true. That too often we look for the mirror image of ourself. Right. 
And ministry calls to the diversity of talents, the diversity of gifts. So uh, that's fantastic advice. I hope all of our, our pastors and prayer <laughs> ministers are listening. And I, I appreciated you saying that. I mean, we see that so many times, though. The pastor is real. I, I want this guy. I want this guy. Mm-hmm. And we're going through the discernment process with them. And it's like, why the heck does he want this guy? Mm-hmm. He's not mature in his spirituality. Right. And, and that's the other thing. Sometimes I think we can fall into the trap. The guy's always there. He's always around. He's in the church. And he's fun to talk to. He's a nice guy. Right. We enjoy his company. That doesn't necessarily make for a vocational call. So right. uh, definitely some of those biases that we need to check going in. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else should a pastor then be looking for? You've given us good advice on what to be careful of. Now, let's go in the other direction. What are some of the characteristics that a pastor might see that that indicate a possible vocational call? I think if the pastor's really, or the priest specifically, is really looking for a solid deacon, is you're going to have to pay attention to what is he engaged in? Where where is he, where is he serving? Because we can't make a deacon. Right. You can't send him to formation and say, "Here's a guy I really like him, make him a deacon." Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. Yeah, the, the the mold is already set to some degree. Right. The guy has to be living diaconally. He has to be a deacon already. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he's going to be engaged in catechesis, religious education or something. He's going to be engaged in the liturgy in some way, somehow. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be engaged in the outside community and the service to the poor, the weak, so, the lost. So already living the three calls of the deacon, right? Right. Uh, the call to the service of the word, the service of the liturgy, and the service of the poor. Right. So He's going to be balanced. Mm-hmm. That, that's the person mm-hmm. we're looking for. He's naturally going to float to the surface every single time you open your eyes. Mm. And, and leadership is something I know that, that you talk a lot about with the guys in formation, that it's not just being involved in ministry, but to demonstrate the characteristics of a Christian leader. And right. again, different kinds of leaders, right? So not the authoritative, go do this, you must do this, but rather the one who leads in the image and likeness of Christ. And I think one of the challenges for, you know, because we understand that our priests are stretched and it's hard to find a good volunteer to step in, a lay person to step in to lead. And, and we fall into the trap of saying, well, th- let's make him a deacon. And that way I always have him. Right. And that's not necessarily the reality of it either. And again, th- this is great because my mind is now just, exploding and firing on different synapses as you're saying all I this. I saw that purple smoke. Yeah, you saw it. Yeah, that's right. The cloud, it was like an atomic uh, cloud formed over my head. The, our priests are so busy and there are so many demands on them. And we've, again, going back to our management roles we've lived in, sometimes organizations make the mistake of saying, I just need to hire a warm body, right? Right. Let's just throw anyone to get it done. And that would be a horrible mistake when we're looking for vocational calls and vocational ministries. So it's not just, I need a deacon. Right. We need to help this person identify the uh, call that God has put on their heart. Right, because we're going to look at this man as he walks through the process of discernment. And, And I like what you say quite often is like, we love the church enough that we don't want to just turn anybody loose on them. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. I, I, you're right. I say that all the time in formation. It's like I, I'm turning you guys loose on the people of God, and I love them too much. So 
I'm going to be very picky. You're going to be very picky. And our <laughs> pastors should be picky about the people they're calling for. You know, and the other thing I think that really sticks in my head, mm-hmm. and, and this comes from when I was an advisor for Admiral Staff, is the Admiral told me one time, I'd much rather hear it from you than the rumor mill. Yeah. So yeah. you got to have that person of courage that can challenge appropriately mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the priest. That's the number one thing I've heard from from the priests I work with is they're looking for a trusted advisor. Right. Someone that they can trust that they, you know, because they don't necessarily have the community uh, to share things with the challenges and the trials. And they need someone that they can trust and who can be the good voice and sometimes challenging them in a respectful way, of course. So uh, and humility, you've already mentioned that. If someone is coming across as very proud and, yeah, I know the right way to do everything, not going to be a good deacon, not going to be a good minister in the church in general. Liturgy is so fluid. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you're not, trust me, you're not going to know everything that's going to go on. So let's extend the, the circle of influence now just a little bit. We talked about the pastor. But also there are other priests, uh, other deacons that may be working in the parish as well. How can they help the pastor? You know, it is the diocesan requirement, of course, that the pastor is the one who must request the application on behalf of a man who wishes to apply for formation. You know, they just can't request it on their own. They can't go rogue. Um, But the other clergy have developed relationships with men in the parish, or they may have insights into them. What advice would you give those fellow clergy in helping raise someone up to the pastor's attention uh, to make that connection. You know, it's interesting, you know, I mean, we hear it more and more that when recruiting for vocations, for, for being open to understand and seeing vocations, it takes everybody. It's, it's not a one person. It's not, like you said, it's not the guy saying, well, God told me, he whispered in my ear that you're going to be a deacon or a priest. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's going to be a community. So if your brother deacons, you know, the ones that are serving, that should be engaged both in the parish and out the side the parish are not seeing the behaviors, the spirituality, mm-hmm. the humility. Right. And then again, the deacons have to have the courage to step up and say, Father, what do you think about? I think that is a corrective that I, I really would hope that we get out there, though. And this reference is back to a point you, you made earlier. Just because the guy's doing everything does not necessarily mean it's a vocational call. You know, this is not the diaconate. We say this often in, uh, to the men in discernment nights or, or vocation. Uh, an ordination as a deacon is not a lifetime achievement award, right? right. It's not, I'm going to reward you for all your service. And, you know, we, we perhaps we told the story two years ago that when they approached Pope Francis, when he was archbishop in Buenos Aires, and they said, hey, look, he's doing all these things. You should make him a deacon. And Francis famously responded, why should I make him a deacon? He's doing everything already. So right. it's not a question of you become a deacon to do things. You become mm-hmm. a deacon because there truly is a vocational call. Yes, God put it on your heart, but it has to be evidenced in your right. life. And, and you'll see it in their relationships, how they build relationships, how they maintain relationships with priests, deacons, laity, lay leaders. I find a lot of times that uh, the men that, that bring themselves forward, believing they have a call, are very, very active in the church. And that's great. It's wonderful. But their spiritual foundation isn't there. They're, they're right. so busy, they're not taking the time for prayer. They're not taking the time for retreats. And that's a common uh, error that we find when people apply. So hopefully our priests and deacons are encouraging them to develop that and, and being aware of where they and are. And those are the questions that they can ask. 
It's like, what kind of retreat? What What do you do for leisure? What is your prayer routine? Mm -hmm. You have a spiritual director. Uh, would be another good, good one. one. Yeah, I know that can be challenging in our diocese right now, but that is a good one. <laughs> and the other thing we say, they have to be humble enough to be formed. Because even though we can't make a deacon, there are all those false personas uh, that, that we adopt to survive in the business world or in life. And if the person is so rigid and they can't be formed, they can't surrender their life back to it's God. A, it's, right? it, it's very interesting for me is that, and this might just be my bias, but when... When the man comes to a discernment night and says, I have no idea while I'm here, but my pastor told me to be here. Mm. Or you're going through the discernment and it's like, I just don't get it. I'm, I'm just, I, why am I here? What am, why would I do this to myself? <laughs> right. So what's your response to that when you hear that? I'm because saying, we do you're probably it. on the right path. Exactly. Right. Because it isn't <laughs> Because it isn't something mm -hmm. that I'm looking for. It's something that's happening to me. Right. Right. And I know many of us either hesitated, delayed, deferred, weren't sure why we were called. Some of us tried to drop out of formation. Um, you know, that's, it, it that doesn't is actually, make sense. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I don't know if religious calls ever make sense in our eyes. Right. But they make a whole lot of sense in God's eyes, and that's what we're trying to surrender to. Well, I want to move on to family now. Um, as you well know, uh, the family plays a key role in helping a man discern. In fact, a man cannot be accepted into formation nor be ordained unless his wife gives her full consent. So share with our crowded den right now, all the guests that are standing room only in here today, um, some thoughts on the role of the wife and family in discernment. That's the first relationship that you really should be considering. Besides the relationship with God, the relationship with your wife. You know, I, I'm, I'll say it and I'll say it time again that formation is an amplifier. Mm -hmm. And if you do not have a solid marital relationship, if you can't live that first vocation, mm -hmm. which we basically said the same thing that we'll say at ordination is, yes, I give myself totally to you, then there's no sense trying to take on a second vocation because right. it'll only destroy that first one. And, and God would never call us to evoke an additional vocation, the vocation of holy orders, if it put that first vocation, right. that sacramental vocation of marriage at risk. And I know the beauty of my wife is that she'll tell me when I need to, what I need to hear. She will not just you're, you're, build you're, me you're, what. Your wife tells you whatever you need to hear, Joe? <laughs> yeah, whatever I need to hear. Yeah, and not sometimes what you want it's to. very unpleasant. <laughs> uh, that's a good wife. But it, it's, a, a, good it's wife. a checkpoint. Mm -hmm. You know, she, we can, as men, we can get lost in the opportunity to serve on the altar. Right. We ha we have that mm -hmm. very big image of I'm next to the priest. I'm 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 getting to lift the cup mm -hmm. with the priest, mm -hmm. raising the body, and we get lost in that vision to the point where we are blinded to the impact to family life. You know, uh, in my own experience, I think that's really where my vocation and my formation took root uh, is when when my wife, Rosie, realized that her role, you know, she, she grew up in the Philippines. So everything was the church first, the church first, the church first. It must be right. And I'll take a back seat. And right. only when she realized the importance of her role. And it's been great ride since that point forward um, and really would challenge me on things and, and affirm me at times when I right. needed the affirmation as well. Um, 
It was so interesting that Judy's eyes was a, a kind of a backward story is that I deferred diaconate formation that so that she could be formed as a lay ecclesial minister. Mm-hmm. And that's why, of course, so good point, because in our formation programs, the wife is expected to accompany the man right. throughout the course of formation. You know, right. it's it's not like, OK, honey, you go do your thing and get formed as a deacon. But in fact, they they journey together because the formation impacts and affects both. So now now we have to move to the children. Right. Do we have to? Yes, we do. <laughs> OK. The children count. Mm-hmm. They are they're a part of the process. And especially since how here in this diocese, we're looking at younger men. Right. We're not looking at you've raised your children. You know, we've all heard the story. Wait until your children are out of the house and then become a deacon. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell you about eight years ago, the stories, the heartbreak. Yeah, you probably would have been a very good deacon, but you've aged yourself out because you said no for something else or were advised to say no. But children being raised within that process of mm-hmm. being formed for a deacon, the opportunity to evangelize to your own children is amazing. They get it. And and for me, when I started formation, my kids were six and three, seven and four, something in that range. I don't know. Their, their ages kept changing, so I, I can't keep track of it. You know, I remember uh, the mornings after formation, we'd sit at the kitchen table and I would share with them in their language what, you know, I had learned, what I had experienced, and would always go back to them and check. You know, is it okay? Are you happy with the fact that your dad's going to be a deacon? What what concerns do you have? And towards the end of formation, as they got older, they were able to express those concerns. So that was important. And there are going to be conflicting demands, right, between between family life and and the need for formation and the time that demands. And certainly once you are ordained, but unless you're making those decisions as a family, then we fail. I mean, we've seen at least one man so far in the, this past cycle that was really concerned about, okay, how am I going to balance this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've had a lot of babies born in the current class. It's supposed The current to be class, we've year. got three. Exactly. <laughs> it was kind of fun last formation weekend. We had babies all over the place. Um, so let's go beyond the family now. I'm kind of conscious of the clock, but not really. So, Catherine, if we run long, we're going to run long. Uh, just <laughs> warning to uh, to listeners, uh, we won't run that long, I promise. But we'll probably fill your entire commute home from downtown Orlando. <laughs> so let's focus on the faith community, that is to say the parish. What role do they play in the discernment process as well? I think this this is the one that takes it right back to the ancient church. Right. It's Acts 6, where where the apostles are saying, you know, things are getting a little crazy now. I, I can't stretch ourselves this far to be able to take care of the needs of the widows that are complaining and still immerse themselves into what God is trying to form within themselves and the, and the newly forming Christian community. Mm-hmm. And so they ask the community, first and foremost, pick seven reputable men full of the spirit and wisdom mm-hmm. and bring them and we'll lay hands upon them. Yeah. So it wasn't the guy raising his hand saying, pick me, right? Oh. I want to be a deacon. No, it was the community. They said, they said community, go out and find them. Right. Um, I'm glad they still don't have that uh, requirement of full of wisdom. Otherwise, uh, at least one of us here would not be a deacon. I think we can go both. But oh, Okay. All right. As I long was, as God's wisdom is and there you go. falling That's, upon me, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll survive. Yeah. Um, and, and so will the community around me. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And and we've had beautiful stories, though, of men who have discovered their vocation because it was another member of the community. It was right. not their pastor, not the clergy, not their family even. Because we say just because your wife loves you and your mom loves you, that's not good enough affirmation, right? right. They, I'm glad they love you. But when someone in the community comes up and says, Joe, have yeah. you ever thought about the diaconate? Right. That is profound. That is Act 6 coming right. alive in the 21st century. And it comes from different areas. It's not just one person suggested it. Mm-hmm. It usually comes from different places. And if we're humble enough and we open our ears to really God's call, and this is the importance of having a spiritual foundation, a prayerful foundation, so that you are open to the movements of God in the others around us. Mm-hmm. We say this about deacons that we're the eyes and ears of the bishop because the bishop can't be everywhere. And I think that is the same. The same is true for the parish community. The priest can't be everywhere. You know, right. he has a, a parish of a thousand, two thousand, four thousand households. Right. And so those households are actually eyes and ears as well to help call forth the vocation. Um, the other thing that struck me there, though, is uh, just a reminder that in the same way we pray for priestly vocations appropriately. Right. Uh, or to religious life appropriately, we should also have the prayers for vocations to the diaconate um, because it is an integral ministry in the church. And sometimes we forget that it is, uh, you know, obviously we need sacramental priests, never selling that short. And plus, my parochial administrator is the director of priestly vocations, (laughs) so I'll get in trouble if I don't hold that one up. But we should be praying as well, because it's the prayer of the community is what's going to raise us. Right. The fullness of understanding the unity of the church is bishop, priest, and deacon. Exactly. Serving. Right. Uh, representation of the Trinity, but that's a different discussion yeah, uh, for, like, for I, another day. I was trying to avoid that one. You were trying to avoid that one. <laughs> I, I never do. I thought that's a very cool description. Anyway, uh, let's look at a final group now, uh, which is the other members of the community outside of the church, um, how should they be involved? So remembering that our deacons are in the world. They're the bridge, right, between the sacred and the secular. We're, we're working in the community. We're hanging out at the homeowners association meeting or playing on the softball team and, you know, or on the sidelines with their kids and we're coaching them or whatever we're involved in the school. So there's a lot of people that may be outside of the parish community. Do they play a role? I think they do. And this goes back to the the man's ability to have his eyes, ears, and heart open. Because those affirmations come not necessarily in you should be a deacon, but I'm attracted to you. There's a light about you right. that draws me to you. When you speak, it makes so much sense and something stirs within me. I mean, we look at, we look at society, increasingly we're moving away from formal mm-hmm. religion. When you think about it. And if you can live that light, if you can be that light, it draws them back and invites them back. And maybe we can heal some of the wounds that were inflicted upon individuals. That's that's a very true statement, because there are some that will not enter the doors of a church because they feel wounded. But they will go to that trusted person. And right. uh, I'm sure you've had it happen. I've had it happen. There was there was a buddy of mine back in Colorado, and uh, he worked for the U.S. military in Colorado Springs. And he said, people always come into my office, and they're bringing me their problems because they trust me, and they want to hear, and they know I'm going to speak about religion. And I thought, 
you need to be a deacon. You need to consider a vocation. Right. Um, sadly, he never did. But that's exactly what we're looking for. That is the affirmation right. that we're getting. They're usually the leaders that kind of bubble to the top in the, in the soccer leagues, the football leagues, the baseball leagues. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing if we're willing to be open to hear. And then ultimately, for the man who is called to a diaconal vocation, when they're going through formation, they need to have that relationship with their workplace. Agreed. Because otherwise, their boss is going to be saying, uh, oh, no, you can't take your time off. you got to be at work. And, you know, my, in my own personal experience, I was working for Hewlett Packard at the time, and we had uh, just, uh, formation nights every Monday night, three hours. I was traveling all over the world at the time, but my manager said this is important so when you have to fly to Asia, when you have to fly to Europe, when you have to fly to another state, you never have to start those trips till Tuesday morning. Right. What a gift, right? Because they saw what my formation would bring to their company as well, too. Right. Profound in that way. It is. Yeah. And, and, and then again, it becomes the man, can you let go of things? I know for my formation, I was the executive director of a Habitat for Humanity. And so the formation weekend often fell upon our signature fundraising event i knew i could trust my team to take care of it so i could be absent right where i know that oftentimes the man will say no this is the major event can i miss formation yeah we we all believe we're irreplaceable right (laughs) oh they can't do it without me Uh, that is that's a thing we work on in formation the entire time guys always but my parish needs me no your parish needs you to be formed if you're going to serve them in a greater way or a deeper way as the deacon. Right. Um, so there's a final set of criteria that, and I want to make sure this is out there because we are going through a discernment cycle. So there may be men that listen to this and go, oh, yeah, God is working in my heart and I'm being affirmed. And, and or a priest says, oh, I really want this. I, I think this guy should come you know, to a discernment night and, or perhaps apply for formation. But there are uh, criteria that the right. church puts in place that are established either through canon law or through particular law of the diocese um, to identify a proper vocational call, such as age, education, stability of life, and marriage. Would you briefly touch on some of the, some of the big ones there? So I think the big one for us, canonically and, and local law, would be the age. So you cannot be ordained a deacon until the age of 35. Therefore, you cannot start... The six-year formation formation. process, Mm -hmm. unless you've reached the age of 29. Right. Mm -hmm. And on the other end, recognizing that it is a significant investment, and we want you to, we want the community to reap the benefits of you being a deacon for some time, Mm -hmm. is that you cannot start if you've passed your 59th birthday. Right, because we only ordain in... uh, Diocese of Orlando. Yeah. Top limit is 65 65, years of age at the ordination. Right. And there are some guys, and we get this all the time during these cycles, and they'll say, I feel called to be a deacon, and then they'll be 68, you know, 70, 83. 83. 83. I had one the other day. (laughs) And that's that's beautiful. The person has a call to serve, as do all the baptized. So the call to service is not unique to the diaconate. And so I encourage them to continue to serve. But... We're certainly not going to have a man enter formation at that point. What are some of the other uh, the other keys to this education or stability requirement? I think stability of life over different facets of our life is very important. So we're, we're asking you to be in a stable marriage. 
sacramental marriage for at least five years. We're asking you to be a Catholic. So we have those that have decided to come into full communion. They're on fire, Mm -hmm. but they're only two years in. So they really have not lived a full, stable life as a Catholic. So we're asking five years. Part of the community. Mm Mm-hmm. Within the Diocese of Orlando for at least five years, you have to understand our local community and flavor and, and the diversity of it. I mean, we have a terrific diversity of individuals and communities that we're asking to be a part of and minister to. So five is the magic number five? And, uh, across, across the board there. Is there a like that? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> Uh, not that I know, but we'll we'll let oh, that, that one. Maybe that was two. That was two. Well, and one is the loneliest number. That's yeah, the only that's thing true. I remember. Um, and the final thing that is important is that all of the men who apply for, to enter formation have to have at least a high school diploma or yes. a GAD because St. Leo's University uh, is our academic partner for the intellectual dimension of formation. It's it's critical that you understand the teachings of the church. So the men in our program enter essentially a master's degree program or a certificate program in theology. Um, you can't enter the university without that. And, and some people say, well, that's, well, what if he really has a vocation, but he never had the GED? Uh, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to handle the demands of academics, and it right. isn't optional. I mean, you need to understand the faith and be able to explain it clearly. So that's why that's in place. And I think the exclamation point of that the pastor has to recommend the man. Right. That's without question. Right. So this is not a relationship as well. I say hi to the pastor every Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's a true relationship that the the pastor can look into who you are, know who you are, and know what you're capable of being. So we should uh, start the take your pastor to dinner week for all uh, men interested in formation, right? Yeah, that might work for some. Our pastors like dinner. (laughs) So, hey, good meal. Um, so we have been going quite a while today, and uh, but I, I think it's important. I'm glad we did. But let's let's bring this now. Let's wrap this up and bring this to a close today, because it's likely that this discussion may have spurred thoughts in some of our listeners' minds, whether believing they may have a possible vocational call, or they may believe they know someone uh, who might be right. And if that's the case, what would the next steps be? Well, we told you we're we're running around the diocese still, and we still have two discernment nights. On Tuesday, October 26th at the Basilica of St. Paul in Daytona Beach. And on Thursday, October 28th at St. Catherine's in Kissimmee. Both evenings start at 6.30 p.m. The possible applicant must, this is what Deacon Joe just said, must meet with his pastor as only his pastor can request an application on his behalf. The application window will open on December 1st, and it's a 90-day window. All applications must be submitted by March 1st, 2022. And they're very detailed applications. Uh, This is not applying for a credit card at Kohl's. So um, please give yourself time to fill it out. They include personal and spiritual histories, and they will be reviewed, discussed, and prayed over by the members of our discernment team during this time. And applicants that this review team believes may have a potential call to the diaconate, uh, they will be invited in for interviews in the springtime with decisions on who to invite into a formal discernment year made by early summer. So, as we said, in addition to the man himself, his pastor, his local clergy, his family, members of the parish, and members of the community, as well as the diaconate discernment team on behalf of the bishop, all have vital roles to play in discerning a vocational call. It's just not what I want. It, it is a community 
that calls that person forward. For just like in Acts chapter 6, it is the community that calls a man forward as a potential deacon of the Catholic Church. Well, like many restaurants and bars, the Deacon's Den is up and running again and looks forward to providing a full menu of delectable delights for your diaconal digestion. Last year, we offered a taster's menu from the perspective of the wives of deacons. And I think it's now time to get other family members involved. So assuming we can arrange suitable guest chefs, we will look forward to invite children of deacons into the den to share their perspective on our ministry of service. Sadly, we've reached closing time of the Deacon's Den, but I'm glad you dropped by. Come back in when you hunger for hearty discussions on the diaconate and Catholic conversation. Until we meet again, I pray you walk closely with God on life's journey. And when you feel the urge to visit the Deacon's Den, remember, there's always a corner booth reserved just for you. Mm-hmm.